Amen. Good morning, church. Happy Resurrection Sunday to you. We're so glad that you're here with us this morning to worship the Lord who has risen. He has risen indeed. And uh, we are just excited that you're here with us. And if you're new um, or you haven't been here in a while, I got some explaining to do because we're in Romans, okay? So we've been in Romans for the last two weeks. Now this will be three weeks, and we're still in chapter one. And uh, just the type of church that we are, we, we, uh, we just pick a book of the Bible and we go verse by verse. And so here we are. We're here. We're not going to shy away from it. So it might seem a little odd to you this morning as uh, an Easter message that you're, you're like, really, this is the section of Scripture you picked for this morning? I, I didn't. It just happened to be where we were when we got here. So we are, uh, we're here this morning in Romans chapter 1, and I got good news because it is the gospel this morning. Even as we get into Romans, Paul is writing a letter to the church in Rome, and he is presenting to them the gospel, and he's right in the middle of telling them their great need of his righteousness because there is none righteous, no, not one. And so he's right in the middle of starting his case of telling us that we need the righteousness of Christ. And so these verses today are breathed out by God. They're profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. And as you're turning there, I've got one great overwhelming thought this morning. I want you to get it, all right? This was a, this was a tough one, but you need to hear it. God loves you. No, really, like you need to, you know, like that's what you need to hear that this morning. God loves you. Yeah, I don't think you've got it. Okay, so God loves you. Some of us have a hard time accepting that. Just to be honest, we do. How could he love me? How could he love me? God loves you. And, and I'm going to prove it to you. God loves you, and he shows that love to you in his son, Jesus Christ. There's the truth here this morning that not only does he love you, he loves you in Christ, in the sacrifice of his son, in the resurrection on the third day. And so I'm going to go ahead and give you some good news because we're not going to get to chapter 5 of Romans today. We're going to get like four verses in today. So we're going to go ahead and give you some good news because if I just focus on chapter 1, you're going to think, well, that was not very uplifting. That was kind of discouraging, actually. Thanks. I got out of bed for this, put my new shirt on and everything. God loves you, Romans 5.8. But God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What a powerful verse. You see there the word shows is present tense. You know what it means? It means that God is showing his love right now in Christ He's revealing his love to you in Christ. Right now, it's present tense. It's taking place. And how do we know that? Because Christ died. That's past tense, meaning that that was the sacrifice that was needed for all sacrifices. There never needs to be another sacrifice. Christ died. It is finished. It is atoned for. And his love is now upon you through Jesus Christ. Whew. I don't think you've got it. Let me say it again. God loves you. 1 Peter 3.18. Amen. Let's go. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in his spirit. Oh, we are unrighteous, but he is righteous. And he has fully exchanged that so that we could be brought in. Our sin was poured out on him on the cross so that we could have life and have it everlasting because God loves you. God's love 
His loving affection towards you is proven in an action of himself and is made alive in his spirit. It is proven today, and he proved it in himself. What a remarkable thought that God's love is revealed in Jesus Christ. That means that God's love is not revealed in, in your faltering feelings. Oh, I just don't feel loved. Well, I, just, I just don't feel it. Still there. It means that God's love is not revealed in certain circumstances. Well, do you know what's going on? I think God's mad at me. I, I mean, have you seen what has happened in my life, what I'm having to deal with? God loves you. What a remarkable thought that God's love for you is not because of what you have done and let me add what you have not done. In fact, his love for you is based on Christ and not on you. Well, that takes the pressure off, doesn't it? It's not based on what you do. So it's based on what Christ has done on your behalf. God's love is revealed in Christ Jesus. Then it is also received in Jesus Christ. What a remarkable thought that if, if God is going to reveal his love to us in his son, Jesus Christ, that while we were yet sinners, he died for us, that means that we're also going to receive that love through Jesus Christ. Oh, we have received a love that is far surpassing any love that we could ever even imagine or hope for because of his son, Jesus Christ, and what he has done on our behalf. A.W. Pink lived a long time ago, and he, he said this. Since the love of God is in Christ Jesus, it was attracted by nothing in its objects, nor can it be repelled by anything in, of, or by them. That is some good news right there. It wasn't anything that you did that he looked down at when he was like, look at that. I love that person right there. Look at what they did. That is not the reason of God's love. God's love is based on Jesus Christ, and you didn't do anything to earn it or deserve it, and you can't do anything to lose it because it is based in his son, Jesus Christ. That's some good news right there. He, he kind of knew what he was talking about. He went to Ephesians 1, 4 through 5, and he says, Even as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. In case you missed it, in him there is a love through Jesus Christ. Oh, and it had nothing to do with you. A.W. Pink goes on to say, what praise should this invoke from each of his children? How tranquilizing for the heart since God's love towards me had no beginning. It can have no ending. Since it is true that from everlasting to everlasting, he is God, and since God is love, then it is equally true that from everlasting to everlasting, he loves his people. The love of God is everlasting, it is not based on your feelings. It is not based on your circumstances. It is not based on what you've done or what you haven't done. It is based on the person of Jesus Christ and what he has done on your behalf. And he has died and he has risen on the third day. Amen? Rising on the third day is the receipt that the payment is full. We have proof of his love. Ralph Erskine, who lived a long time ago and speaks different than we do, said this, God hath taken a marvelous way to manifest his love when he would show his power he makes a world. When he would display his wisdom, he puts it in a frame and form that discovers its vastness. When he would manifest the grandeur and glory of his name, he makes a heaven and puts angels and archangels, principalities and powers therein. And when he would manifest his love, what will he not do? God hath taken a great and marvelous way of manifesting it in Christ. His person, his blood, his death, his righteousness. I don't know if you heard it this morning, but God loves you.
in Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your son, Jesus Christ, the fact that we are gathered together as your church, as your body, to praise you for what you have done on our behalf. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, and the love that we receive in and through him and how you've drawn us into your family. Lord, I pray that if there's someone here today who does not know you, who hears your word, Lord, that you would convict them by the power and the presence of your word and your spirit, and that you would draw them to yourself so that they could experience your love full, full of grace, full of mercy, full of truth that is unconditional. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, and thank you for your word. In Christ's name, amen. Romans chapter 1. Chapter 1, I'm going to pick up there, verse 18, and go through 21. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. This is God's word. I told you it was an odd section of scripture for an Easter Sunday morning, but the whole reason of this section of scripture is Paul's trying to convey this message that you need Jesus. Y'all seen those shirts? Y'all need Jesus in the South? Y'all need Jesus. Y'all need a coffee mug? Y'all need Jesus, right? I'm gonna tell you why y'all need Jesus this morning, okay? Out of these four verses, y'all need Jesus because the wrath of God is revealed. He just says it right there. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Y'all need, need Jesus, right? Y'all need Jesus because the wrath of God has been revealed. What a frightening thought. As you think about the wrath of God, you think about the fact that there is this infinitely all-powerful supreme God who is the maker and creator of all things, of all times and all places, and is right now sovereignly holding all things together in the universe, and he has a wrath that is being revealed. That is a frightening thought. It's a horrifying thought. And this is why churches shy away from the fact that there is a wrath of God and they focus on a love of God. The wrath of God, for lack of a better definition, is the righteous anger of a holy God towards sin. Did you know that God hates sin? He hates it. And from Genesis to Revelation, his wrath is revealed throughout Scripture. And a lot of people have a hard time with saying, well, I don't know, I, kinda, I don't really like the God of the Old Testament because he kind of seemed a little ornery and mad all the time. And he was smiting people and sending down fire and all kinds of stuff. But then this New Testament God, he's really pretty cool. I mean, he, like, he was all like walking around in sandals and stuff. He seems like, a, he seems like my kind of guy, right? Well, J.I. Packer says one of the most striking things about the Bible is the vigor with which both Testaments emphasize the reality and terror of God's wrath. Whether you're in the Old Testament or the New Testament, there's this revealed wrath of God upon sin. We think about stories like Numbers 16, 31 through 35. Let me catch you up on what's happening there. There's Korah's rebellion. This guy, Korah, he thought he could probably lead the people a little bit better than Moses because they were wandering around. He was getting kind of sick of it. And so he starts to lead this revolt. I'm going to get some people with me, and we're going to lead this revolt because we think we know better than you. But what he didn't realize he was doing is he was revolting against God and who God had put in place. And so this is what happens. 
As soon as he had finished speaking all these words, the ground under him split apart, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up, and their households and all the people who belonged to Korah and their goods. So they and all that belonged to them went down alive into Sheol, and the earth closed over them, and they perished from the midst of the assembly. Let me just catch you up right there. They all got buried alive because of God's wrath. Okay, well, how do you respond? All of Israel who were around them fled at their cry, for they said, lest the earth swallow us up, and fire came out from the Lord and consumed the 250 men offering the incense. Oh, that's some wrath of God right there. Ground just opening up, closing over you, burying you alive. Those who are still around, flames of fire come out and consume you. Ooh, this is not the kind of God I thought we were gonna talk about on Easter Sunday. Let's go to the New Testament, Acts chapter 5. That'll be better. But a man named Ananias and his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property, and with his wife's knowledge, he kept back some for himself, some of the proceeds, and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said to Ananias, Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last, and great fear came upon all who heard of it. Okay, so this guy just didn't bring all of his offering, and he just falls out dead because of the wrath of God? Wow. It's almost like the wrath of God is being revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. There is a God who is holy, who is righteous, and who has a hatred toward sin. Proverbs 6 makes that very clear. 16 through 19, there are six things the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among the brothers. As we look at this list, we see that all of these things, these are the things that came up in the two stories that I just told you about with Korah and Ananias. They were causing discord among the brothers. They were having wicked plans that they were devising. They were doing things that were kindling the wrath of God. You see, the wrath of God is revealed from Genesis to Revelation. In Revelation chapter 6, we're going to hear that when God's wrath is revealed finally on the day of the Lord, there are going to be people who are crying out for the mountains to fall on them because they don't want to be under his wrath, calling to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. Do you know who is seated on the throne right now? Because he, is, he died on, on the cross. He was risen on the third day. He ascended into heaven. He sits at the right hand of the Father. He is sitting, reigning on the throne. He is the Lamb of God who took away the sins of the world, and yet there's still a wrath against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. For that great day of their wrath has come, who can stand? Well, this was very uplifting. Thank you, Pastor, for that uplifting Easter message. Why do we tend to ignore the wrath of God that is revealed and only acknowledge the love of God? Well, I think R.W. Dale has a great thought on this. It's partly because sin does not provoke our own wrath, that we do not believe that the sin provokes the wrath of God. 
We don't really get that upset about things, do we? Oh, that's just, that's just how God made me. Oh, that's just how things are. Have you seen the culture? That's just the world we live in. And we begin to accept things that God finds detestable. He has a righteous anger. Now, some sins provoke our wrath. Other people's. Can you believe they did that? How dare they? God should smite them, right? Maybe he should open up a hole and swallow them up. Sin provokes us when it's someone else's, but we don't find it as punishable when it's us. We find it more permissible. Oh, God will forgive me. Oh, that'll be okay. I tell you, God loves you, and the cross stands at the center of time as a display of not only the love of God, but also the wrath of God. The cross stands at the center of time to point you to the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. It also reveals his wrath. The cross of Christ cannot be understood apart from the revealed wrath of God. The wrath of God is a necessary component to understanding the love of God. In a devotion book that I've been reading through, he gives this illustration as he talks about the wrath of God in comparison to the love of God, that they go hand in hand. They're, they're holding hands and they're skipping along together. The wrath and the love, they're in a great relationship. He said, now imagine if, if a wife comes along and she confesses a long-standing adulterous relationship with her husband. How would you expect the husband to react? With anger. You would expect him to react with anger. And if he didn't react with anger, you would expect that there was a lack of love in that relationship. He wouldn't say, ah, that's no big deal. Hey, but thanks for telling me. He wouldn't say, you know what? Go ahead. I just want you to be happy, and I, I hope God blesses that. No, that would show apathy. He would actual, actually show hatred. It would show a flippant attitude towards a behavior. It would not demonstrate genuine love. And, and let me tell you, but God shows, demonstrates his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This means that God demonstrates his love for you that while you were still in sin, still committing spiritual adultery with the world, he poured out his righteous anger and wrath upon his son. You are loved in Christ. What a remarkable thought. The wrath of God has been satisfied. As we close, not yet, I got two more points. Calm down, okay? As we close later, we're going to sing a song in Christ alone. And there's a, there's a line in it that says, till on that cross as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. The wrath of God was satisfied. Oh, it's been revealed. The wrath of God has been revealed. It is a wrath that would pour out his wrath on his very own son to satisfy those who are apart from him, to satisfy that, that payment for those who are apart from him. The uh, Presbyterian Church, USA, though, they didn't like this line very much. They're like, yeah, yeah, we don't want to sing about the wrath of God. That's not very uplifting. So what if we change this line till, it says, till on that cross as Jesus died, the love of God was magnified. That sounds way better, doesn't it? Woo, let's sing about that love being magnified. You see, you can understand the, magnif the magnitude of his love 
apart from the wrath of God. The magnitude of his love is shown in the fact that his wrath was revealed, displayed on his son. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against what? Ungodliness and unrighteousness. These two things, ungodliness means a wrong attitude and action vertically towards God. It's a, it's a corruption in that vertical relationship. And it's also living as if there is no God. But the second part of that is unrighteousness. It's a wrong attitude and actions towards others. It's a corruption in your horizontal relationships. And I'm just gonna be, just gonna be up front with you. If there's an issue vertically, you can expect issues horizontally. If your relationship with the Lord is not right, then how can you ever expect your relationships horizontally to be right? Vertically, horizontally. I think I got that right. I wasn't very good in math, if that's math. I don't know if it's math or not. That's it. I wasn't very good in Spanish, okay? So <laughs> if we look around, it's clear that the wrath of God has been revealed. We see floods, we see fires, we see earthquakes, we see hurricanes, we see tornadoes, we see famine, we see disease, we see a world in chaos. We see that there's always something revealing the fact that things are not right. You know what's not right? Ungodliness and unrighteousness. How we treat people and how we don't treat the Lord God's wrath is revealed because of irreverence towards him and our immoral behavior towards others. There's a wrath of God because of these two things. It's almost as if, if we could just have a God who would show up in the flesh and tell us the one commandment that we need to keep. God, if you could just show up and just say, okay, just boil it down, like that was a whole bunch of, that's a whole bunch of laws. Can you just tell us what to do here? Can you just boil it down to just one law? Well, yeah. Okay, Mark 12. 28 through 33, and one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another and seeing that he had answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind and with all of your strength. And the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribes said to him, you're right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one and there is no others beside him. And to love him with all of your heart and with all of the understanding and with all of the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. Oh, if, if you could do this, this would be better than all the sacrifices to atone for your sins. If you could love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbors yourself, how are you doing with that? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ who came and lived the perfect life that we are incapable of living. He perfectly displayed a love of God to obedience, even obedience to the point of the cross. And he loved those who were still sinners enough to die for them. What a remarkable love we have in Christ Jesus. God loves you. He loves you. And he is provoked by the wrath. His wrath is provoked by the absence of true worship. He longs for people to worship him in spirit and in truth. And the only way to do that is through Jesus Christ. Y'all need Jesus. Do you know that? Why do you need Jesus? Because we suppress the truth. Verse 18 there who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. 
For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. We are without excuse. We plainly see that there is a God who created all things. We can know that truth. There's a knowledge there, but we want to suppress that truth because if we can suppress that truth, then we can be God's. We can choose what's right and wrong. We can do what we want to do, so we suppress it. It's like holding a beach ball under the water. Anybody ever try that? You go to the pool, you go to the ocean or something like that, and you take that beach ball, and you try to suppress it under the water. What's going to happen? It's going to come right back up. R.C. Sproul says it's like you have a giant spring, and you're going you're to push the coil down as tight as you can, but you always feel the friction there. You always feel that tension where it wants to just spring forth again, and this is what we do. We know that there's a God. There's a knowledge of it, and instead of acknowledging it and surrendering to it, we suppress that so that we can do what we want. I don't want to deal with it right now, God, so I'm going to push you underneath the surface, underneath the surface so that I don't have to be accountable to what's going on, so I can worship the way that I want to worship. Tim Keller would say this, we must worship something. We were created to worship the creator, so if we reject him, we will worship something else. We're telic creatures, purposed people. We have to live for something. There has to be something which captures our imagination and our allegiance, which is the resting place of our deepest hopes in which we look to, to calm our deepest fears. Whatever that thing is, we worship it. And so we serve it. It becomes our bottom line. The thing we cannot live without defining and validating everything we do. When we suppress the truth, when we suppress the Lord, we push him down in such a way that we can then focus on things that we think will be more satisfying. Oh, I'm going to worship that because that validates me. That makes me feel good. I get my feelings from this. I, I get my identity from this. And anytime that is not the Lord, we're suppressing the truth and we're fighting a losing battle. This is what the world does. This is what ungodliness and unrighteousness are always doing. When we suppress God, we try to cover up, to hide, and to conceal the truth that there is a God who created all things and who is holy and righteous so that we can live unaccountable. The wrath of God is revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. You see, by suppressing the truth, some of us have engaged in sins, engaged in immoral acts, and have ignored the wrath of God and elevated the love of God so much that we've perverted the grace of God. We need Jesus. I need Jesus. The reason I need Jesus is because I suppress the truth and I look to other things to find value. I find myself making other things the bottom line. I find myself worshiping all types of things that I think can satisfy me and they can't. And I'm suppressing a truth because if I can live that way, then I can live without accountability. I can accept sins in my life. I can engage in immoral acts. And I can ignore that there's a wrath of God against sin. And I can elevate the God that God loves me. And when I do that, I pervert the grace of God. I need Jesus. See, if we suppress the truth, we will never be content or satisfied because we will inevitably have to continue pushing down the truth into the recesses of our subconscious so that we can live without conviction and accountability. 
And I would say that's where some of us are today. We struggle with the idea that God loves me because we are struggling to find satisfaction. We're struggling to find acceptance. We're struggling to find that, that love because we have suppressed the truth. We feel the tension in our life and God is leading us towards repentance. We need Jesus because apart from Jesus, we are hopeless and we are helpless. Why do we need Jesus? Because we do not honor him as God. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Paul gives us the breakdown of head knowledge opposed to heartfelt application. It's really easy to know, but hard to have a heart that wants to apply that truth to our life. It's really easy to know, oh yes, I believe there's a God. Oh yes, I believe Jesus. I believe he came and he died. I know that he did all that for me. The hard part is then the heartfelt application that comes from that knowledge and that truth. We suppress the truth. See, there's a breakdown between head knowledge and heart appreciation. Although they knew God, although there is an intellectual understanding that God is in control of all things, they decided not to give him a seat in their hearts or thank him for all the blessings they had received. So they became futile, vain, idolatrous in their thinking. Oh, why do we need Jesus? Because our sinful human nature suppresses God and elevates ourselves. If we're not careful, we'll suppress the truth and we'll begin to think of everything based on me. Vain, idolatrous, me-first thinking. And it's futile. It's hopeless. Oh, we need Jesus because our flesh has pre-programmed us not to honor him as God. So we define what is acceptable and unacceptable from a vain and idolatrous mindset. Have you noticed how we do that? We don't honor God as God. We decide what is right and wrong. Oh, I, I, know, what, I know what's right and wrong. Oh, that's, that's not right. That's not, that's not good. A vain and idolatrous mind will always make morality a moving target. A vain and idolatrous mindset will always make morality a moving target. It will always be based on what is right for me in that moment. If morality then is defined by a vain, idolatrous majority, it becomes meaningless. You see, the wrath of God is revealed. It has been poured out on Jesus Christ. There is a God who hates sin and he loves us enough to pour out that hatred on his one and only son so that we, in exchange, could have his righteousness credited to us, imputed to us, but if we're going to continue to live as though God is not God, we don't honor him as God, we will, we will live with a vain, idolatrous mindset that moves morality, that moves the line and participates in things that we know we shouldn't participate in. Why do we need Jesus? Because there's one huge overarching sin sickness that has infected the entire world from the beginning and it's not letting God be God. I have a question for you this morning. With the knowledge that there is a God, have you, given them, have you given him the seat of authority in your heart? 
Has it ever moved past the I acknowledge that there's a God to I'm now giving him the seat of authority in my heart? I want him to be Lord of my life. R.C. Sproul says the most fundamental sin in our fallen, corrupt nature is the sin of idolatry, the sin of refusing to honor God as he is. We want to strip him of his attributes, turn him into a God made in our image, a God we can live with, a God that we can be comfortable with. People say God is a God of love, not a God of wrath, but that is not the God of Scripture. The God of love revealed in Scripture is also angry with sin. He is the God of justice, righteousness, and holiness. We cannot embrace the attributes of God that make us comfortable and reject the rest. When we do that, we join the throng of humanity that suppresses the truth of God and refuses to honor him as God or be thankful. He deserves the seat in our heart. We were infected a long time ago by Adam and Eve with this one simple sin, not honoring God as God. Oh, the serpent came and he was crafty. He was more crafty than all the other creatures that God had created. And he came and he said, did God surely say? Did he really say you can't eat of the fruit? Oh, no, just the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden. And he says, Oh, the serpent said, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Isn't that what we strive for? To be our own God? To be able to say what is right and what is wrong? To be able to declare what is good and what is evil? Isn't that what we do? Don't, don't we, from a vain and idolatrous mindset, move the target of morality over and over and over so that we can hit it? There's a wrath of God revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. Why do we need Jesus? Because the wrath of God is revealed and has been poured out on Jesus Christ in your place. Oh, we are hopeless without him. We are hopeless and helpless, and there's not a thing we can do, but thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, we can have life and have it everlasting. The wrath of God has been poured out because God shows his love to us in Christ. Let me ask you, are you in Christ? Because apart from Christ, the wrath of God still remains on you. The wrath of God still remains on you and he is a just God and he is a holy God. But if you are in Christ, if you step into saying, I want you to have the seat of my heart, then the wrath of God has been covered through Jesus Christ and there is no longer any condemnation. Today, today I invite you that if you've never fully surrendered your life to him to do so, it's as simple as you saying a prayer, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that you have been revealed. I know that you're a God and I know that I have not honored you as God and so I surrender my life to you today and I want you to be Lord of my life from this day forward. I need your son Jesus Christ because I am hopeless and I am helpless without him. Change my heart and make it new. It's a simple prayer and I invite you to pray that. And if you do pray that today, I, I would encourage you to grab someone near you and say, hey, I, I need to tell you what I did today. They'll know what to do. John 1, 9 through 14. Got good news. The true light, which gives light to everyone, 
was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as the only son from the Father, full of grace, full of truth. We need Jesus, and we need him every day. In Christ alone, who took on flesh, fullness of God and helpless babe, this gift of love and righteousness, scorned by the ones he came to save. Till on the cross, as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. For every sin on him was laid, here in the death of Christ I live. There in the ground his body lay, light of the world by darkness slain. Then bursting forth in glorious day, up from the grave he rose again. And as he stands in victory, sin's curse has lost its grip on me. For I am his and he is mine, bought with the precious blood of Christ. Will you respond today because you need Jesus? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your son, Jesus Christ. We are in desperate need of you because we are a hopeless and helpless people without you. Father, today, I pray that your words land on the hearts of your people, that you would draw them to yourself, that they would understand fully the love that you have for them in Christ, that they would step into a life of Christ, with Christ, Lord, that they would repent and they would walk with you. Father, we thank you for your son. We thank you for what you've done on our behalf. We thank you that your wrath has been poured out and passes over us. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Will you stand? Will you respond?